Welcome, welcome. We're glad that you are with us this morning at Christ Community Chapel, whether you're in East Hall uh, or in the sanctuary here with me. I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad that I get a chance to be with you. My name is Zach. I'm on staff here at CCC. Uh, We are continuing our 12-week sermon series we're calling The Dirty Dozen, where we're looking at 12 unlikely people that God uses throughout the story of the Bible. I I don't know if you've picked up on this, but there is a common thread that runs through many of these stories, and and that is that many of them, and today's is no exception, begin with a conversation between Jesus and that unlikely person. There's a lot of power in a conversation, two people sitting down to look each other in the eye and to talk, especially when one person is seeking to tell the other about what God is doing in Jesus and how they can be a part. We, We want CCC to be a place full of people who are having those kinds of conversations throughout the week. But we also understand those are difficult conversations to have. You can be very afraid of those conversations, afraid that someone's going to ask a question you're not ready for, you're not going to have the answer to. And so if you're here and you are between 17 and 30, and that description fits you, you're not talking to your friends about Jesus because you're not sure you're up to the task. We want to invite you to what is happening in the next few weeks. We're calling it the Remind Conference. And the goal of the Remind Conference, which is put on by RZIM, is to inform you, to equip you, to to enable you to lovingly, winsomely, biblically deal with the questions that the culture is asking. And not, not just out there, but even in your own heart and in your own mind, with the hope that you will feel equipped and enabled to talk to those around you about Jesus. So if you're here and you are between the ages of 17 and 30, really want to encourage you today to sign up and to make plans, to be there, to invite your friends, and to take really good notes for those of us that are too old to go so that we know what you guys talked about. But really hope you'll check that out. We are going to continue our sermon series The Dirty Dozen, looking at those 12 unlikely people. Today, we're going to be looking at a conversation Jesus has with someone the Bible refers to as the woman at the well. And you'll find her story in John chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn it to John chapter 4. If you don't, that's not a problem. The scripture will be on the screen behind me. Usually what we do is we read the passage and then go into the sermon, but our passage today is about 30 verses long. So we're not going to do that. Instead, I'm just going to kind of pepper it in throughout the sermon. So you'll want to have it open or be checking the screen behind me. But as you're doing that, let me give you four points that I want to use as an outline to kind of guide our time together. So if you're a note taker, you can write these down. If you're not, just kind of think about them as mile markers to help us plot our course. Here they are. The first is, I want to talk about how we see ourselves. How we see ourselves. Second, I want to talk about how God sees us. Third, how we go from our way to God's way. And then fourth, what happens when we do. Okay, very simple. How we see ourselves, how God sees us, how we go from our way to God's way, and what happens when we do. Let's start with number one, how we see ourselves. This story begins when Jesus is sitting at a well outside a small town. His disciples have gone into the town to buy food. He is there by himself in the middle of the day. So the hottest part of the day, sitting by a well, and a woman comes up to him, or actually comes up to the well to get water, and they begin a conversation. And that begins in verse 7 of John chapter 4. Here's what it says. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. 
Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. I want you to see that this woman that Jesus encounters, her, her self-awareness, her self-conception, her identity is really rooted in two things. And the first thing is what other people say about her. It's interesting that when Jesus meets this woman, and Jesus doesn't have a cup, he doesn't have a jar, he, he, he's hoping to get some water out of the well, it's the hottest part of the day, so he says to the woman, can I have a drink? And what's fascinating is there's a lot of things that she could say to him. She could say, for example, I don't know you, you're not putting your nasty lips on my jar. That would be one response. She could say, oh, sure, of course, here, here, drink as much as you want, but she doesn't. Instead, he says, can I have a drink? And she says, whoa, 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 you shouldn't be talking to me. I'm a Samaritan. I'm a, I'm a woman. You shouldn't talk to me. And I think that, that's really strange. It's really strange that she would say that that she would tell Jesus, don't talk to me, I'm a Samaritan, I'm a woman, I don't matter. I mean, the story would make more sense to me if Jesus said to her, can I have a drink? And then she, and she said, sure, or no, or whatever, and then a third person said, oh, Jesus, what are you doing? She's a Samaritan, and she's a woman, you're not supposed to talk to her, but why would she tell Jesus that? And what you see right off is without even knowing much about her cultural moment, you see that whatever is going on in her time in history, it must not have been a good thing to be a Samaritan or to be a woman. In fact, it must have been such a bad thing. The culture must, must have so reinforced that it was not good to be a Samaritan or not good to be a woman that, that over time she became convinced of that that she became convinced that because she's a Samaritan and because she's a woman, you shouldn't really have anything to do with her. After all, when babies are born, they don't, they don't come out and then say, you know, Wah! and then look at their skin and go, oh no, I'm a Samaritan. I don't matter. No, you have to learn that. Someone has to tell you that. And, and not once or twice, that has to be reinforced for you over and over again. That has to be part of the culture so much that over time you just realize, if I'm a Samaritan, I don't matter. So much that as an adult, you would say, why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. I have three daughters. None of them ran around the house as toddlers saying, I wish I was a boy, but I'm not, so I don't matter. You're not born that way. Uh, misogynistic, patriarchal culture has to reinforce that for you. And that's what happened for this woman. She was steeped in this culture. She had grown up in this culture so that over time what they said about her, you're a Samaritan so you don't matter. You're a woman so you don't matter. What they said had become so a part of her life that it actually became what she said. So that when Jesus talks to her, she's not even worried about herself. She's worried for him. You shouldn't talk to me. 
What will they think? I'm a, I'm a woman. I'm a Samaritan. I wonder if some of us here can't identify with that. That the loudest voice in our head, the, the most shaping influence of our self-identity, of our self-conception, are the negative things that other people have said about us. I mean, some of us grew up in homes where we were going to be celebrated no matter what. I mean, I remember my mom would come to watch me play sports growing up, and she doesn't like sports. She knows nothing about them. She would have no idea if I was any good at them. So she would yell things like this, looking cute. <laughs> if she were here, she'd be like, well, you were, and you are, and I would be like, mom, I'm 35, please. But some of us grew up in homes where we never heard something like that where we were told we were a mistake, we were worthless, we were in the way, we didn't matter. And over time, what happens is you, you hear that enough and you begin to believe that. that. That begins to be the voice in your head so that even when you leave home, even when you're out on your own, it's a mom or a dad or whoever saying, I don't matter, I'll, I, I don't matter, I'm nothing. No one should want me, no one should talk to me, no one should, I don't deserve anything. It doesn't have to be a parent, it can be a culture. You're the wrong skin color, you're from the wrong neighborhood, you drive the wrong car, you wear the wrong clothes, you have the wrong job. It can be a boss who tells you you're worthless. It can be a spouse or former spouse, children or parents. And over time what happens is that our self-identity, our awareness, the loudest voice in our head through which we think about ourselves and view ourselves is a negative one. It is one that says because of who you are you don't matter. I, I wonder if that's where you find yourself. There's a second thing that forms this woman's self-conception. You can find this in verse 16, where Jesus says to her, go get your husband. Now, I want to warn you that what Jesus is getting ready to say will, will sound awful. He will sound like a jerk. I, I don't know if it's okay to say that, but he, he will. Actually, this is the most beautiful part of the whole story, and we're going to see that in a minute, but it will it'll hit you hard. And he says this, go get your husband, verse 16. And she says, I have no husband. And he says, for you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. So you see, now that this woman's identity is not just I'm a Samaritan and Samaritans don't matter, and I'm a woman and women don't matter, but you also have this understanding now that she has a bit of a checkered past. She's been married five times. Five times men told her, I don't want you anymore. You don't measure up. You're not good enough. Five times she had failed at marriage, and now her opinion of herself is so low that she's willing to just live with a guy. He, he doesn't even have the decency to marry her. He, he, he's just keeping her around, but she's okay with that. That's who she is. Now you see that when Jesus says, can I have a drink? And she says, don't talk to me. That she doesn't just mean I'm a Samaritan and I'm a woman. She means if we talk, people will say we're sleeping together. And you see, for this woman, when she thought about herself, when she saw herself in the mirror, what she understood is that I am the product of what they say about me and what I've done. 
That I am the sum total of all my mistakes and, 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 and my ethnicity and my gender and the fact that I born the wrong thing at the wrong time and that I did the wrong things at the wrong time. That is who I am. In fact, this identity for her has become so real that she goes to the well in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day, carrying a big stone jar. Why would you do that? You would go in the morning and when it's cool and get your water for the day. You would go in the evening and when it's cool and get your water for the night. And, and she even comes by herself. She has no friends with her. Why would you do that? It's not safe. And why wouldn't you want to have conversation on the way? But the reason why is because what she's told herself is that people like me, the most we can expect out of life, the best kind of day we can have is that we'd go to the well and not run into anyone. That's the best that I can hope for because that's who I am. I wonder if you're here and you would say, even if there is a God and even if he's meeting people and even if he's working on people and even if he has a plan for people, it can't be for people like me. I'm the wrong this, I'm the wrong that. I've done the wrong things. I am the product of my past and what they say about me. But the second thing I want you to see is that is not how Jesus sees her. That is not how God sees us. She says to Jesus, don't talk to me. I'm a Samaritan and I'm a woman. And Jesus blows right past that. Look with me at verse seven. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus says to her, if, I'm sorry, verse 10. Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You see, Jesus says, listen, lady, you're focused on you. You're saying I shouldn't talk to you because of who you are, but if you knew who I was, if you knew who it was talking to you, then you would ask me for a gift, and I would give you living water. And I know you're thinking, what, what is living water? I'm gonna tell you in a minute. But for now, just notice that Jesus is saying, don't focus on yourself, focus on me. If you knew who I was, you would ask me for a gift, and I would give it to you. And she says to Jesus, how can you give me water? You don't have a cup, you don't have a jar. And Jesus says, I'm not talking about this water. This water, if you drink it, you're just gonna get thirsty again. In other words, lady, you come to this well every day. It, it runs out, you gotta come back. The water I'm talking about, you drink it one time, you'll never thirst again. That's the water I want you to ask me for. That's the water I wanna give you. And she says, that sounds great. And then he says, go call your husband. Why? If he wants to give her a gift, why does she need her husband? And even when he says, go call your husband, and she says, I don't have a husband, why not leave it there? Why does he press in and go, well, technically that's true. I mean, you've had five of them, and now you're living with a guy. Why is he doing that? Here's why he's doing that. I told you it's wonderful. Here's why he's doing that. Jesus understands that she says, don't talk to me because I'm a Samaritan and because I'm a woman. And Jesus says to her, ask me for a gift, I'll give it to you. But he understands that unless she knows, he knows who she is, she'll never believe it. She'll leave their conversation saying, you know, that was great that he was willing to look past my being a Samaritan. And, and it, it was great that he was willing to look past my being a woman. That was big of him. But if he knew my marital status, he never would have promised me that. 
If he knew that I was living with a guy, he never would have said that to me. Jesus knows that. He knows that her own self-perception would have swallowed up his promise. So he says, ask me for living water and I'll give it to you. And she says, okay, can I have living water? And he says, before I give it to you, I want you to know I know exactly who you are. I know you've been married five times. I know you're living with a guy. And guess what? I still want to give you this. Listen, if you're here right now and you don't know God, maybe the most powerful thing I can tell you is that when you begin to feel God tug at your heart, when you begin to feel that God is close, that God wants to do something, that this Jesus thing might be real, that in that moment, that God who is pulling on you, he knows everything about you. And none of it stopped him. And none of it changed his mind. That's what Jesus is saying. You see, he doesn't ask her about her marital status because he wants to hurt her. He asks her about it because he says, I want you to know, I want that inner voice to know if he knew about your marriages, I know. And I still want to give it to you. And this is what he says. Go get your husband. She says, I don't have one. He says, well, that's not technically true. And she does what everybody does when they talk to pastors. She changes the subject. So I don't want to talk about that anymore. Let's talk about my second favorite subject, theology. Which mountain should we worship on? And here's what Jesus says to her in verse 21 and verse 23. I want to read these to you. She says, which mountain should we worship on? I don't want to talk about my love life. This is what Jesus says. Verse 21, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. She says, which mountain do you worship on? Which mountain gets you close to God? Which mountain lets you know your worship counts? And Jesus says, forget that. God is doing something. That's true. God is doing something. The hour is, is here when God is on the move. And the thing that God is doing has nothing to do with mountains. Here's what it is. God wants people to worship him in spirit and in truth. What does he mean? Here's what he means. God doesn't want people to guess. God doesn't want people to stand on this mountain and say, maybe God will hear me. Maybe I'm on the right mountain. Maybe I'm close to God. Oh, maybe it's this mountain. Maybe if I stand here, God will hear me. I'll be close to God. Jesus says, no, no, no. God is doing something. God wants to be known. God wants you to know who he is and what he's doing and that you have a place in it. God wants people who know him in spirit and in truth. And you think, well, that's great. What's I got to do with her? Look at verse 21. He says, the hour is now. Verse 21, listen to what he says. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will, listen, will you worship the Father. He says to her, lady, listen, something is getting ready to happen in your life and you're not gonna care about mountains. You're gonna know God in spirit and truth. In other words, here's what Jesus says to her. He says, when I met you, you wanted to say, don't talk to me. Don't you know who I've been? Don't you know where I am? Jesus is telling her, when you look at you, all you see is what you have been. But when I look at you, all I see is who you will be. You're getting ready to become a true worshiper. Friends, what if, what if when God looks at you, he does not see what they say or what you've done. He sees who you will be. What if when God looks at you, he doesn't see what you say about yourself? He doesn't see the mistakes you've made, the mess you made. He sees what he will do. You say, God, you can't love me. Don't you know who I am? And he says, it's not about who you've been. It's about what I'm doing. That's what he says here. Let, let me give you an analogy that'll help drive this home. 
when we lived in Cleveland on Sunday nights was garbage day in our neighborhood. People would put their garbage out on the, on the street. And when we would drive home from something, my wife would see something in the garbage that she wanted. And she'd be like, pull over, pull over. And I would say, what, what, what? I'd pull over. And she'd say, I want that table. And I would say, what do you mean, the garbage? And she'd say, no, no, the table. I would say, no, that's garbage. Sunday nights are not furniture giveaway day in the neighborhood. They're garbage day. And she would say, just get out and get it. And so that's what I would do. I would get out, and I would get it, and I'd put it in the van. I wouldn't think anything about it. Until three weeks later, I walk in the living room with the drink. I set it down on the table, and I go, oh, this is nice. Where do we get this? Where do we get this table? She says, that's not a table. That's garbage. <laughs> now, here's the difference. We drive through the neighborhood, and what do I see? I see what it is. That table's broken, paint's chipping. I see what my neighbors say about it. They don't want it. If they don't want it, why would I want it? If it's not good enough to be in their home, why would it be good enough to be in my home? I don't want their garbage. But when Amy drives through the neighborhood, what she sees is what it will be when she gets done. Friends, listen to me. What if when God looks at you, he doesn't see the paint chipping or the leg broken? He doesn't see the mistakes you've made or that some would say you're the wrong color or the wrong neighborhood or the wrong place. What if when God looks at you, he sees only what he's going to be done with when he finishes in your life? What if when God looks at you, he sees what you will be when he gets done? And you see, the table becomes all the more impressive for once being in the garbage, right? Because if you go to the store and you buy a table, if somebody comes and says, that's a nice table, and you say, it should be, I paid a lot of money for it. I went into the store and I picked out the prettiest, nicest table. I bought that one and I put it in my house. But when somebody comes in and goes, that's a nice table, where'd you get it? And you say, it was in the garbage. They go, wow. <laughs> Friends, what if when God looks at you, all he sees is the wow moment when he gets done? What if when God looks at you, he sees a true worshiper? And you say, that's not who I am. That's not who I've been. Well, he's going to pick you up and do something in your life. That's what he says to the woman. Listen, I'm just telling you, when you see you, you see what they say. When you see you, you see what you've done. So every time you look in the mirror, what you see is a failure. Every time you look in the mirror, what you see is an immoral person, a fraud, a phony, someone who if everybody knew, they wouldn't be loved. When you look in the mirror, you say, I wish I was this or I wish I was that. But when God looks at you, he says, wait till I get done. When God sees you, God doesn't see your past or your present. He sees your future. And if you're like me, you're saying, how could that be true? And that leads me to the third point, which is to say, how do we go from the way we see ourselves to the way God sees us? The woman at the well asked that question. Look what she says. Jesus says, you're going to be a true worshiper. Don't you worry about mountains. I'm getting ready to do something in your life. It's going to change your life. You're going to know God. Look what she says to him. I love it. Verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ and when he comes, he will tell us all things. She says, listen, buddy, that's very kind of you to say. It's kind that you would even talk to me. I mean, you, you, you crossed gender lines. You crossed ethnic lines, cultural lines. It's great that you know about my past, and you're still willing to say this nice thing to me. That's so wonderful. But here's what I think. When you let God in on this, God, mm, he's not going to like this idea. 
And so I need, like, not middle management to say this. I'm going to wait till the Messiah comes, and maybe if he says something like this, I'll believe. But I would need to hear this from God himself. Look at what Jesus says, verse 26. Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. See what Jesus is saying? He's saying, lady, I'm at the top of the org chart. I don't have to check anything with anyone. If I tell you you're gonna be a true worshiper, you are going to be a true worshiper. If I tell you you have a future, you have a future. Of course, he has in mind not just that he would say this to her, but he knows why he's come. He knows he's come to live and, and never make mistakes and, 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 and never have shame and never have guilt and never make a mess. And he knows that on the cross, he's going to become garbage because of her sin. He knows that on the cross, he'll be stripped and mocked and beaten and abandoned, and everyone will say, we don't want this. And he knows he'll die. And he knows three days later, he'll raise from the dead, and he will say to people like this, I have taken all of God's anger over your past. There is only for you a future of knowing him and loving him and enjoying him forever. But there's more. See, the only way you could ever go from the way you see yourself to the way God sees you is if you were convinced he's capable of doing that. But you see, that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to give you a resume of God. Jesus came to live and die and raise from the dead so that no matter what you would say about yourself, where you would say, there's no way God could make me a future worshiper. If you'd know where I've been, if you'd know what I've done, if you know who I am, Jesus would say this, were you dead? Because I was dead and God raised me up. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but the resurrection is God's resume to you so that right now when you're thinking about that thing that makes you feel like garbage, the thing you did, the thing that's true of you, that, that, that weak spot in your psyche, that, that thing that shame and guilt whispers to you from, and, and you say, this is too big, this is too bad, this is too deep. Here's what Jesus says. Is it harder to be dead and get back up or to fix that? You see, this is what Amy would say to me when we drove through the neighborhood later. And she would say, pull over, pull over. I want that chair. And I would say, the garbage? And she would say, that's what you said about the table. But what was she saying to me? Zach, haven't I proven to you that I can take what others call garbage and turn it into something great? Friends, hasn't God proven to you that he can take even the dead things and raise them up to something great. See, God, when he looks at you, sees what you will be, what you can be, what you should be, what you would be if you would trust him. And you see, that's the rub, isn't it? To be a Christian is to invite Jesus to be the loudest voice in your head. To be a Christian is to believe that because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that when he says you will be loved by God, it's true. 
That when he says you're a child of God, it's, it's true. When he says you have a future, it's true. To be a Christian is literally to lay down the voice in your head to say, I'm not who my mom said I was. I'm not who my dad said I was. I'm not who I say I am. I'm not who my former spouse said I am. I am who Jesus says that I am. That's what it means to be a Christian. And to live the Christian life is to fight against a culture that is constantly bombarding us, telling us you're nothing if you don't drive this car, you're nothing if you don't wear these clothes, you're nothing if you don't work here, you're nothing if you're not married, you're nothing if you don't have kids, you're nothing if the kids aren't perfect. But to be a Christian is to say, that's not the voice in my head. The voice of my, in my head is Jesus Christ, the Son of God above whom there's no one on the org chart who says to me, you are what I say you are. You will be what I say you will be. Do you trust him? Will you trust him? If you do, number four, here's what happens. Jesus says to her, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for living water. And you say, what, what is that? Well, well, think about it this way. Think about it this way. An area absent of water looks like what? The ground gets dry. It begins to crack. Nothing grows there. Animal life leaves. It becomes a barren wasteland. When that happens in your life, what happens is you go to the well in the middle of the day by yourself because you say, that's the best I could ever expect to get. That's what life looks like when you're me. But when water begins to flow in an area, not, not a sprinkle of water, not a drop of water, but when a water source springs up, what happens? The ground comes together. Grass and other green things begin to grow. Animal life comes back. Things begin to flourish. Do you know that's exactly what happens to this woman? She leaves town in the middle of the day to go to the well by herself in the hopes that she wouldn't see anybody. But when Jesus tells her, listen, I'm telling you, you are going to be a future worshiper, here's what happens. Look at verse 28. Here's what it says. In verse 28, it says, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town. What town? The town that had told her since she was born, Samaritans don't matter. The town that had told her since she was born, women don't matter. The town full of ex-husbands. I mean, my goodness, this is a town, it couldn't be that big. She was probably married to half the town at one point. She's got five ex-husbands in that town. She's got five ex-mother-in-laws in that town. Everybody there knows somebody who says she's nothing. No wonder she wants to go to the well in the middle of the day by herself, but not now. She goes into the town and listen to what she says. Listen to the freedom in what she says. Come meet the man who told me all that I ever did. Come meet the man who knows everything about me. Can you imagine some of the men in the town being like, everything? They're saying everything. Come meet the man who knows everything about me but didn't throw me away. Come meet the man who knows everything about me but says there's a future for me. Come meet a man who knows everything about me but says I can know God. Come meet the man who knows me, knows my Samaritanness and my, my femininity and my marital history and my sexual history. Come meet the man who knows everything about me. And yet when he sees me, he only sees a future with God. That's freedom. 
Listen, until you, the, the most important thing that's true of you is that inner voice in your head who tells you who you are. You can change your clothes, you can change your car, you can change your job, you can change your spouse, you can change your neighborhood, you can change your haircut, you can do all of that and nothing will ever change. Because what you'll tell yourself when you move to a new town or you get a new spouse, you'll tell yourself, they don't know yet that I'm garbage. And life will be about hiding it for as long as you can. But when that inner voice changes, when you replace that voice that's telling you you're garbage with the voice of the Son of God who says you are a future worshiper, you are a child of God, you belong to me, you are who I say you are, you will be who I say you will be, then you don't have to change your job, you don't have to change your spouse, you don't have to change your car, your haircut, your clothes, your neighborhood, and you will dramatically change because you will be set free. They won't own you anymore. So what you need today is to understand that when God sees you, he sees who you will be. And all you have to do is trust that Jesus can get you there. Let's pray together. Father God, this is great news, and great news is hard to believe. Holy Spirit, please give us the ability to believe these things overcome our guilt and our sin and our shame become the loudest voice in our heads and in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.